Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha! The chat room is now open, the video feed is now running, and we are live. It is January 2nd, 2008, and we are taking a look back at movies in 2007. We are going to open up the phone lines tonight and take all callers at 646 595-3195 or stop by the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio I am Philip Wynn, Chief Geek at BC Magazine and I am joined tonight by Eric Olson, founder and publisher of BC Magazine. Hi Eric. Philip, hello, Happy New Year and hello to Lisa. And also by Lisa McKay, BC Magazine's executive editor. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Thank you and Happy New Year to you both. Thank happy you. New year. Even more importantly for this evening, when we're chatting about the year in film, Lisa is our movie's editor. This is very true. And uh, 2007 was really a pretty incredible year in film. You may have noticed, if you were paying close attention, that uh, just this very day we published um, BC Magazine's official, semi-official list of the best films of 2007. And I think this has been, like I said, a fantastic year, although I was very surprised at some of the choices. Uh, You would have thought that... uh, some of the the really blockbuster films would have figured pretty heavily on most people's lists, but we've really had a very, very interesting uh, array, starting with uh, Amy Steele's choice of a a very small independent film from Zoe Cassavetes called Broken English. Now, I have to admit that I've not seen this one, uh, but having read Amy's description of it, it sounds like the kind of thing I'd really like to see. Um, I I think that one of the interesting things about this year is that there was probably something for everybody. Uh, There were a lot of smaller films that seemed to do pretty well by word of mouth, and there were blockbusters. And I I, I guess I'm kind of cheered that not a lot of blockbusters showed up on the list. (laughs) Because honestly, some some of the better films tend to be the smaller ones. Right. Uh, more, having, more, more relatable, more human, perhaps more personal. Yeah, they're more human, and really, you know, by and large, they're they tend to be made by filmmakers who are at this stage of their career, at least, more interested in telling their story than they are in making tons of money. Well, I am looking at the list of the top 100 grocers, and and this year I actually saw more than usual. I guess as my little kids are getting older, we're getting out. We've always seen a lot of the kid ones, um, although now more now we're getting out more to the theaters. Uh, now that it's eight and four instead of younger than that. So uh, in looking at the top ten, it's Spider-Man three, Shrek the third, Transformers, Pirates of the Caribbean three, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Bourne Ultimatum three hundred, Ratatouille, I Am Legend, and The Simpsons are the top ten. And I actually saw a lot of them. And, you know, you're right about the blockbusters. Though. I, I am very pro-blockbuster. I mean, I tend to kind of get wrapped up in blockbusters, and I, and I, I like um, to follow the series and whatnot. But, man, they just weren't that good this year. Spider-Man 3, ugh. That I, was awful. It was really yeah, bad. Yeah, it was definitely, Spider-Man 3 was definitely, I think, the, the weakest of the three. Although I don't think... I hated it as much as some critics hated it. Um, I think that of the of the ones that you mentioned, well, the, the Pirates of the Caribbean movies have just been fun right from the get go. I love I love that franchise. I think that for pure popcorn, you you just can't. Wow. Those. 
I'm really surprised to hear that, Lisa. I, I mean, are you really? I, I, I loved the love... first film. I loved it, but the second film annoyed me so much. I did not even waste my time on the third film. I like the second one much better on DVD. Now that I've ended up uh-huh. seeing it several times on DVD, uh, I will as often as not pick it over the first one if I'm going for one of them, simply because I've seen it fewer times. We watched that first one over and over and over. It was one of the first we yeah. we got on DVD, in fact. And it, it you know we watched it many, many times. And I, I think it is certainly, it's the freshest, certainly, because they were starting... You know, starting with a with a ride at Disneyland, and sure. you know, it really did an excellent job with the characters, and of course Johnny Depp, and he got the nomination, and all that. And so I really do like the second one now, although it's so much more convoluted and unbelievable and complex, and it, you know, there's no question that they scaled the way up. But the third one, my lord, it's it it adds. Ten more layers of complexity than the second one. It just hurts my brain trying to follow what's going on. My God, it's complicated. Yeah, the whole the whole point of those movies is not to try to follow what's going on or to care very much that none of it really hangs together very well. Uh, I think that of all of those films that you mentioned on that on that top grocer list, uh, probably Ratatouille is far and away uh, the the best of them. I agree. Yeah, and that one actually made the BC Magazine editor's picks twice. It did. Um, it's just it, it, absolutely... As, sorry, as did your uh, your pick, No Country for Old Men. Yes. Um, no Country for Old Men is uh, just one of the best films I've seen in recent memory. Uh, it's not very often that I sit on the edge of my... literally sit on the edge of my seat in the movie theater... And that film had me on the edge of my seat, um, partly because of the story and partly because the way the story's told is just so compelling. I, I don't know if either of you have seen it. Um, it have not. I it vote. It certainly isn't a kid flick, so uh, it's definitely uh, definitely adults only. It's it's uh, pretty violent, um, but it's it's just a great example of very very gifted directors using the language of cinema in a in a very very wonderful way to to tell what is essentially a very bleak and and kind of depressing story. And and Brandon Valentine agreed with you picking that as his uh, favorite movie. In fact, he called it easily the finest of 2007. Yeah, yeah. I certainly think it's um I think it's probably the best film that the Coens have done thus far. I, I think I even like it better than Fargo. Oh wow! I like yeah. Go Brother, Where Art Thou? Where Art Thou? Because I am an optimist. Yeah, I think Go <laughs> Brother, Where Art Thou? is a great movie, and you know it's really interesting that that team of people could have made both of these films because they're just um, completely different takes on the human condition. Well, now, when Chris Beaumont wrote his, about his pick, he, he said that it looked for a while like No Country for Old Men was going to be his favorite flick of the year. Uh, but in fact, Juno came along and, and possibly beat that out, and then his pick ended up being Sweeney Todd. Yes. I haven't seen Sweeney Todd yet. Uh, I'm a, a Tim Burton fan and a Johnny Depp fan, really. I, I really like Depp's work an awful lot, which is probably why I, I like those Pirates movies as much. <laughs> oh, sure. He's the, um, the heart he's and soul. Just, that was like the role he was born to play. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this. In fact, if I if I get if I get to the movies uh, before the week is out, this is probably going to be what I'm going to go see. Well, Chris is supposed to call in, so he should certainly tell us about his feelings for Sweeney Todd. I've heard nothing but good things, too. Uh, which is... I, I see Chris in the chat room, so he's certainly welcome to call. The number again is 646-595-3195. I'm trying to figure out how that is translated to film. Of course, I haven't seen it yet either. I saw the the play, the musical, in L.A. I, I don't even know how long ago, probably 20 years ago, and I was just alarmed by how gruesome it was on stage, you know? And so translating it to film, uh, it's just... Uh, and I've heard, I've heard some of the singing and... Uh, Depth sounds good. That's hard stuff to sing, Sondheim, man. 
Yeah, the score is is really good. I've I've heard much of the music, and from what I've read uh, thus far, the uh, the movie is is pretty gory. Yeah, you so, keep hearing about the sprays, the arterial yeah. sprays. Yeah, <laughs> and of course Tim Burton really, you know, he he does that that sort of Victorian Gothic horror thing so well that I I can't imagine that this isn't going to just look and and be wonderful. And it'll be nice not to have a Tim Burton movie have a Danny Elfman score for a change. That will be nice. <laughs> I agree. Well, we have Movie John on the line, what, and uh, he picked Lars and the Real Girl. Maybe we should uh, talk to him. Sounds good. Indeed. Uh, Juan John Lee, you are on the line with us now. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, I agree with most of what you said. I mean that, like, I was kind of, I was kind of uneasy earlier this year, despite the earlier in the year. Although I thought the earlier in the year was fairly strong with like movies. I'm reminded of like Zodiac or The Lookout, were some of the movies that came out earlier this year that could have made my top ten. But I think after kind of a, after Summer Filled with very disappointing sequels, I thought the fall season really, really brought a lot of. Very eclectic, a very eclectic group of you know, group of movies, and so, and I mean, it was a really tough call because I was really personally tossing between my number th- top three picks, which was Lars and the Real Girl made it number one, and Ratatouille and No Country for Old Men, which I, which you know, also I a movie I definitely remained with me for a while, mostly because of its ending and how kind of the book translated into movies, and so as for my. But I decided to go with Lars and the Real Girl mainly because of, like, I, I said in, well, I, said, I think I wrote, it, wrote this down as well, when I said that, like, other movies are were great, really great at capturing the sort of everyday reality, but this movie to me was the most really just daring than audacious of them all. And so, I mean, even, I, I mean, I saw Juno as well, which I know is being praised by others as, being also kind of you know walking the tightrope and being very being very daring and I agree with that and I enjoyed Juno that was one of my kind of runner ups but this is but this is the movie that really stayed with me because it was kind of a movie that re- really had I mean it reminded me of the, about the of the best of Frank Capra's work and that, which I, I don't think Juno really quite captured in the, particularly in the first twenty minutes or so Frank Capra so. with a blow up doll. Well, I mean, if you can say so, I mean, but the thing is that the, the, what makes it so, what makes it so daring is that it doesn't make a point of it. It doesn't make any vulgar points about it. I mean, it, it keeps it entirely very naive and, and innocent, and you know, it, it's like it's like uh, you go back to screenwriting 101, be and focus on the problem instead of trying to milk jokes out of it, you know, and so. I just thought it just had great intensity and focus on. I mean, this is where I, I mean Ryan Gosling is one of my favorite actors too. After Hatton Nelson and now this, now this role, and so I just I just admire him a lot as an actor. So I mean, and he really pulled us off, and everybody else as well. I mean, Paul Schneider as well, who I've seen since All the Real Girls a few years back, and he was been kind of like an in small indie favorite, indie actor favorite, and so I mean, so that was why I decided to go with that ultimately as my number one pick, although. Actually, there's one scene I can't really, really talk about because there would actually be a spoiler. <laughs> because that actually elevated. That was the reason, really, the main reason that I picked it as my number one. But oh, yeah. But I, I can't really talk about it because it's kind of a sort of like an emotional development later. But interesting. Well, it sounds like you have really poured yourself into into film. You seem to be really an aficionado and someone who's. Yeah. Seen a lot of movies. How do you go all the time? Do you go every week? Do you go every day? Um, well, I mean, when I was in New York this past week, I went. I did. I did a lot. I mean, I decided to catch up on all the December releases in order to properly compile my top ten list. And so I ended up seeing movies like Atonement, and uh, there there were a lot. I mean, like Juno, I got to see last week, and the uh, one, what was it? Uh, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which made my top ten as well. The French movie about. The uh, about the the L, L magazine editor who who uh, went under who suffered from a paralyzing stroke and leaving only mobility of his one eye, and so that was a great movie too. And so I mean it was a really tough call. I mean even I mean I was even surprised that a few of my blockbusters almost you were talking about how few of the blockbusters were not I mean were kind of disappointing. I mean I mean I, which I agree. I mean Spider Man three and. Shrek the Third were quite disappointing, but then when Bored Ultimatum came along, then I was that, that I almost put in my top ten because as far as action movies go, that movie was very, just just a very kinetic and just energizing action film. 
You know, I feel that way about Transformers. I I can watch it, I can watch it over and over, and, and that's how I gauge it. You know, because I'm I'm much more geared toward DVD mm-hmm. than than the theater because you know again I'm busy and got kids and mm-hmm. it's just much easier to uh, you know when it, when it's out on DVD to to mm-hmm. pop it on there at any time place and I can stop it whenever I want and pause yeah. and go to the bathroom and do all this stuff mm-hmm. and and that's kind of how I end up judging movies because mm-hmm. it seems like seeing it once. I just I I don't really I'm not my brain is not able to really comprehend fully a movie yeah. the first time I I'm, I don't know it's me I'm slow it's my brain but I can watch Transformers and and it's the kinetic it's it's it each scene scene by scene pulls it along and that's what I love about Pirates the first Pirates is just yeah. it ever it's pull it pulls me along it drags me into it. I like the ride, and that's that's how I judge, you know, movies that aren't particularly yeah. grounded in reality, for example, yeah. um, you well, know, or, or and aren't particularly character development. Yeah. It's you know, does it pull me in, and then do I enjoy the ride, and then hopefully somewhere along the way there's good performances, and I, I think yeah. Shia is really a good actor. Yeah, she, he is a good actor. Although I would also argue that Born Ultimatum, I mean, Transformers is a movie that I didn't quite enjoy as much. Although I was, I was sort of satisfied with how they did do a pretty good job of successfully updating the updating it to make it palatable for adults and not just be like a kiddie fight, you know? But, like, the reason I would pick Born, I would put Born Ultimatum definitely head and shoulders above both Transformers or Live For Your Die Hard or others, some of the other action books that came out earlier this year, because you were talking about, like, story and character. I think Born Ultimatum is story and character grafted the best into action, because... The reason Born Ultimatum is so it's so good in terms of the storytelling as well is because because of, because it always gives you that feeling that because because Jason Bourne himself as played by Matt Damon is is acting entirely on instinct and just lightning just lightning just lightning thinking and so and so that's I think with that because of that underpinning it's like like the action is being propelled forward but the story is going along with it unlike a lot of other action scenes that kind of just seem like you know just like seem like basic stunt work. And so. Well, he functions on a lot of levels, and I think the trilogy yeah. does hang together. Although I think, oh, yeah. I think my favorite is still the first one in that too, because mm-hmm. you know, again, you, you have a big advantage with that first one because there's mm-hmm. the freshness, there's the mm-hmm. you know establishing mm-hmm. things. Oh, mm-hmm. and uh, just looking at the list, I, I wanted to toss in there. I really did like the latest Harry Potter. I think it's one of the best yeah. ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the latest Harry Potter was pretty good too, and I mean, actually, they've done a pretty good job of. Adapting all of them, although I think the third one is really the one that gives me gave me the most shivers. That's done oh yeah, that, I, yeah, that's my yeah. favorite. But I think this one's near that. Yeah, uh, whereas I mean, the fourth was not for me. Yeah, the fourth. I mean, I, personally, I was actually. It's, I mean, having not read the Harry Potter books, unfortunately, actually, because it took me a little while to get for the first and second one. Although, and the reason I would pick a third one as a movie the best is because. It was the leanest of them all, and like the first and second one, I thought kind of took too many. Like, it might work. I mean, the, some of the magical side plots might work on book, but I don't know if it works exactly on film. And were and and then and then the, with the Prisoner Basketball in particular, it was just all about atmosphere. And I think the fifth one kept was closer to that than the first two. And so I agree entirely. Yeah. John, hey, John, John, job. while we while we've got you on the line, let's let's shift. Uh, speed just a little bit. I'm going to bring uh, Diane on the line with us. Welcome to the show, Diane. Hi. Thanks for having me. Hi. And I and I know, uh, Joanne John, you mentioned you'd seen a few of the movies that Diane picked as her top three. Mm-hmm. Uh, the top three movies of 2007, according to you, Diane, were, were Once, uh, Atonement, and Juno. Yeah. And Ooh. I would have to say that those aren't the top movies of all 2007 because I didn't see every movie. Um, yeah. Same here. <laughs> I haven't but, seen all of the critical favorites, but, but those are my personal ones that stood out like me and you know that were my favorite movies. And you're a mad Canadian, and we know it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, <laughs> Diane. Really, really nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Please tell us about one. those films. Why'd you pick them? Why'd you like them? You did a nice job writing about them. Thank you. I was going to make a plug for a Canadian film, too, that I didn't put on my list that I could have, but Away From Her by Sarah Pauly. Oh, yes. An amazing that was a good one. I saw I that. That was a great, great that was, film. That was a and great the, film. The reason I, I didn't agree. put it on my list is because it's quite bleak, and it's mm. not the kind of movie that I enjoy. It's the kind of movie that I really... I'm glad I saw it, and it had a very mm-hmm. powerful effect on me. But it's, you know, I picked top three movies that, um, well, I guess Atonement isn't really a, you know, a lot of <laughs> either. But 
<laughs> so Atonement I picked. Um, I love the book. Um, I love the book more than the movie, but um, I think they did a really great job with the movie, mm-hmm. and I think Kira Knightley yeah. was amazing. I think mm-hmm. the green dress she wore in that movie was amazing. <laughs> I think that should be nominated for an Oscar, really. Um, but, you know, it, it's a really powerful movie, and it speaks to what it means to be a writer, really, which is, is kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Yeah, um, definitely. Once in I mean, June sort of my fun picks, um, but, mm-hmm. you know, they had depth to them, and really funny, um, but really charming. Um, Once, especially, I just think is the perfect little movie. Um, you know, it's this romantic movie, but it's not sappy. It's, you know, it's not sentimental. It's, you know, these two people falling in love through their music. Um, mm. and it does Great soundtrack. Great yeah. soundtrack. Good and, soundtrack. you know, the music is absolutely integral to the movie, but, um, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not, you know, people don't just burst out into song for no apparent mm-hmm. reason. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's really a part of the plot. Yeah. Um, and Juno, I just think, is so much better a film than Knocked Up, which got all the... <laughs> yes. Gets all the box <laughs> office. But, you know, yeah. I really think, you know, Juno really did the unplanned pregnancy thing a lot better. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I also found it funnier. I mean, it just, it had more of a female perspective, mm-hmm. too. I didn't mm-hmm. think there were very, mm-hmm. very many female mm-hmm. characters. Oh, yeah. To, Definitely. To to you know plug in for knocked up. Huh. Well, I actually uh, got one of those two films on DVD for Christmas, and and I'm sure it comes as no surprise that Juno is not yet available on DVD. So I, I got a I got a plug for knocked up as being quite funny to this male. <laughs> oh, I think it's hilarious. I know it. I I understand what Diane's saying about yeah, absolutely. the female. Character. I enjoyed knocked up. Not I mean real. Well, I mean I mean I will real people. I, I think it, yeah. you're, it's definitely from the guy's point of view. Yeah, I mean, that was, I think, one of the central flaws for me. I mean, I was not an admirer of Knocked Up. I know I'm in the minority, but, like, I actually thought it was very uneven because it was told from a guy's perspective too much, and I wanted both sides. And Juno, definitely, I thought, I mean, I wrote in my review that, one of the, one of the reviews I wrote for Blog Critics, that I thought it was actually very life-affirming in every way possible because, it, because it, it just covered all bases in terms of how the parents are the most are the nicest parents you can find anywhere, and the and just how, and just how like she just uh, she even grows as much as the baby does inside. I mean, no no pun intended, but that's the way it, it's just the way it, it's, it's the movie's entirely about growth, which I thought knocked up didn't really quite wasn't near wasn't even close to capturing, and so. I think knocked up got the kind of response it did is because it was a lot better than it had to be. You know, mm-hmm. it, it was supposed to be, it, it appears on the surface and from the mm-hmm. marketing and the picture on the cover, you know, the yeah, poster, yeah. that it's just going to be, you know, another real sophomoric kind of mm-hmm. scatological, which which it is certainly both of those things, mm-hmm. um, you know, guy, uh, raunch fest. And it's mm-hmm. it's a lot more than that, and it didn't have to be. And I think that's... It, it is that, but it is more than that, yes. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the relationship is is interesting and it does develop and there's there are really quite a few surprises along the way. I think that's what people were responding to. It's more yeah. that in in relation to what it could have been rather than how really great it is. I I agree it's uneven. There's no question. Right. I mean, in, in a in a year in which the Farrelly brothers finally missed and we, yeah. we can we yeah. can hope that there aren't very many more Farrelly brothers movies. Um, it was nice to see Judd Apatow actually replace him with with something better. Although Wild Card wasn't that great, though. <laughs> I mean, well, Wild Card was a little disappointing too. Now, I, I, I have to say, Diane, now that I we have you on on the air, this this is this show is about movies. But I was really glad that your article mentioned both television and movies. And so, just as a quick side note, um, two of my favorite television shows made your list of favorite television shows. So, yay for House and Dexter. <laughs> All right. And i got to put a plug in for The Wire and Pushing Daisies, too, of course. Yes, of course, of course. I, I, I know I should I should spend time. <laughs> <laughs> There's only so many hours in the day. <laughs> need, I'm really, I'm really, you know why I want Well, you cloning? know, with the writer's strike, we're going to have a lot more time to watch our DVDs. So. You know why I like cloning? It's purely selfish. I want to be able to truly fulfill my mission of absorbing popular culture. I want to make a whole bunch of myself, <laughs> and I want to like read all the books that come out and know everything that ever happened. I want to see all the movies. I want to listen to all the CDs. And, you know, I got half the stuff. I just don't have time to go through it. You know, I got 30,000 CDs. I just don't have time to listen to them. <laughs> well, that's a oh, noble well. cause for science, I think. Uh, I want the, uh, clones. Chris Beaumont, are you on the air? Hey, I'm here. Oh, very good. Chris, well, we, how are you? <laughs> how you doing? 
I am rotten. Chris, I am, I am sure that you have many opinions. You may be the only person on this call with, with uh, six current participants that has probably seen every movie put out in 2007. Is that uh, Believe it or not, no. Not, not oh. even close. Wow. Yeah, I haven't seen some. Some of the big ones haven't come to my town yet. How many do you think you've seen? How often do you go? Uh, every weekend. So you do j- just do you basically just see one a week, or how? What's your uh, no, no, no. I'm I'm getting anywhere between two to two to five per weekend. Oh my! Ooh, wow. <laughs> You're a machine. I mean, right now I'm already trying to plan out this weekend. So, what does it look like planning for a weekend uh, at the movies with Chris Beaumont? Oh, it's not, it's not that hard. You know, I I just go in like when the uh, let me start that over again. Uh, the column that I put up on Fridays with the uh, new movie releases. Yes. I basically take that and I see what times I can fit in after I get out of work on Friday. And I can I usually fit in two on a Friday night, then another Saturday afternoon, and whatever's left. You are a uh, machine. You are a cinematic <laughs> machine. <laughs> now you picked. We mentioned earlier you picked Sweeney Todd as your top. Top movie, barely beating out No Country for Old Men and Juno. And Juno, yes, it was it was a three ray race for that top spot. It was it was a tough choice. Tell was it the ar- arterial spray that appealed to you about Sweeney Todd in the end? Partially, I, I love I, I love blood. I love, gotta love the gore films. <laughs> and uh, you know, then when you get uh, Johnny Depp and Tim Burton together, it's hard to go wrong with those two. Those three: blood, Johnny, yes. Tim. Yes. <laughs> Well, tell us, go into a little more detail about that and your other two favorites. Why'd you like them? Um, you know, just just uh, do your thing. Well, the, the Sweeney Todd, you know, it, there is something about it. I mean, I've always loved the, that gothic look that Tim Burton brings to his films. And uh, Sweeney Todd, just, just, it really nailed the look better than he's probably ever done in his career. Then um, on top of that, you bring in Johnny Depp, who, uh, well, he can't sing. But he does a great job here. You know, it's like, because he's never sung before. But, you know, this, he, like, um, Stephen Sondheim said, because he had approval on all the casting and every, all the changes made to the, for the film. And he says he's always preferred actors who can sing over singers who can act. <laughs> and Johnny Depp is definitely an actor. And he, 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 has, he carries so much emotion in his face. It's very subtle, but it, it, just, it just really drew me into to his, to the tragic, to his tragic story. And for those who don't know that story, wh- wh- give us a little background. Just set it up a little bit. Um, well, to be honest, like, this is my first experience with Sweeney Todd. I've never seen any of the stage productions. Um, but, you know, he, he gets sent off to, he as a young man, he's, he's married and he has, a, he has a beautiful wife and a beautiful child. But this judge, played by Alan Rickman in the film, sees them and he wants it for himself. So he comes up with some trumped-up charges and has... Johnny Depp's character, uh, whose name was uh, Benjamin Barker at the time, deported to Australia. Fifteen years later, he comes back, and he wants to reunite with his family. But then he finds out that, you know, that's not possible, so he turns his, his, he turns his attention toward revenge. Um, Interesting. And then, Very I don't dark. really want to give too much up for those who don't know, like me, went into it pretty much cold. Well, I mean, I think, I think the general gist of it is pretty well known. I mean, there... Uh, you know, yeah, apologies, I, I, apologies, Chris, that you haven't heard it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the title sums it up pretty well. The, <laughs> the Demon Barber of Sweeney Todd. Yes. The Demon Barber. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just, as I said earlier, I remember seeing it on stage, and man, just you know, cutting throat after throat after throat, and the cackling woman who's his. Mm-hmm. In this case, it's Helena Bonham Carter as as yeah. the the cackling helper, Mrs. Yeah. Lovett. It's a very dark experience. Uh, I mean, is there humor in the film? Oh yes, yes. It, it's the dark humor brought in a lot by uh, Helena Bonham Carter's character. That is, it, it was funny. She, her songs, she does deranged very well. Oh, yes, she does. I, I mentioned that we'd be taking all callers, so uh, caller from Orlando, Florida. You're on the line with us. <laughs> hey, how you doing? Hey, who's this? This is Lewis, Lewis Mad Max. Um, Hi there. I'm I'm just listening to you guys, and I think it's, I think it's cool that, uh, that you guys are so enthused about the movies you're listening to, but Tim Burton, just because... Tim Burton just does movies with his wife and Johnny Depp. It 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 just turns me off anymore because every movie he does is with his wife or with Johnny Depp anymore. 
and there's no there's no difference in his movies. You know, you look at Sleepy Hollow or Edward Scissorhands or all these other different movies he does, and it's always the same the same people. Um, if 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 you're if he's a good director, why can't he choose different people? Um, I think that's a good point. You think he's becoming John Cassavetes, huh, where he always uses his family? <laughs> <laughs> With Lee Marvin, yeah. I, yeah. It probably comes down to, if you know, do you like that or not? I think ultimately that's what it is. You know, I, I agree. He's pretty narrow, you know. I mean, it's it's always... Or it's typically very well. Noir every movie and, he does now is with Johnny Depp and his wife, um, Helen Bonham Carter. Helen Bonham Carter. Yeah. Carter. You know who's his wife now, or who was? Who? <laughs> yeah, that's that's her. Helen Bonham Carter's wife. <laughs> okay, yeah, I confuse the two because they're yeah. they're pretty close in looks and all that. <laughs> <laughs> they they kind of are. I mean, but I mean, I don't know. I don't mean to discount because he's talented. All of them are talented. Well, what's don't your favorite Tim Burton movie? My, uh, I would probably say Batman. Hmm. Okay, well, none of those people were in that, so <laughs> no, no, none of anyway. those people were in that. And and because you look at Sleepy Hollow, you look at Edward Scissorhands, or you look at uh, every movie Tim Burton has made since nineteen or nineteen two thousand one has been with Johnny Depp. I think my favorite is Beetlejuice. <laughs> I'll go all the way back to Beetlejuice. Although, I mean, well, Beetlejuice was like in the eighties, wasn't it? Yeah. But no, I mean, every movie he's made has, has in in the past ten years has been with Johnny Depp and his wife. No, you're right. right. Um, I think it's a good yeah. point. Well, we've so got a couple. It, that consistency. It is because I love Tim Burton. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Um, I just think he needs to change. I think he needs to do something with somebody else. It's like uh, Francis Ford Coppola working with uh, with. Uh, um, you know Al Pacino, or uh, or or you know it's 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 you can't work with the same person forever. I think it's a and, good point in general that yeah. you know people do. I mean, you certainly see it, especially when when the directors um, start to have some clout. You know, they tend yeah. to then pick the same people and they they develop. So so the question is, uh, or, or the two sides of it, I imagine, is it. Is there freedom in in that kind of closeness and working with the same people? Because you know, he's not having to learn uh, about their their uh, quirks and idiosyncrasies and how they work. You know, there's there's an ease there. But on the other hand, does it become boring? Does it become routine? I think it's a good point. Any any sure. thoughts from the rest of our panel? Well, I think. Um, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> sorry, I was going to say I think since the beginning of film, directors some directors, you know, when they get to a certain position, they have their repertory company that they tend to go sure. to again and Definitely. again and again. And, you know, it's, you know, Orson Welles did it. I mean, it's not unique to Tim Burton. Um, and I mm-hmm. think if the movie stands on its own, I mean, I don't think most moviegoers mm-hmm. go to a movie and think this is a Tim Burton movie and I've seen Johnny Depp in a Tim Burton movie before. I think the role is so vastly different. Mm-hmm. That, right, and there have been a few think comments. I don't think moviegoers thinking that. There, there have been a few comments showing up in the in the chat room. I mean, Bergman is one example who who cast some of the same people in movies over and over. Specifically, you know, uh, his female leads. Um, obviously, you've got Woody Allen has done that with various wives over the years. Yeah, Martin yeah. Spacey. Um, has done that with De Niro many, many times, and now with Leonardo DiCaprio recently, he's been working a lot with. Good he's point. done four, three or four movies with him. I don't consider that. I mean, I think every director has this style and niche. So niche. So I mean, I don't really consider that a Swan itself, which is why we should go to different movies. We don't only watch one director the entire time, and that's part of movie going. I mean, yeah, of course, we'd like to see actors and directors alike kind of branch out a little bit. And I think Tim Burton has done that, too. I mean, my favorite Tim Burton movie is actually Ed Wood, which is actually because he actually, if you think, that movie is about filmmaking itself. So it's kind of like it's about kind of the joy of filmmaking one step removed from all the gothic reality he usually deals with. But it's dumb, but then he, he's somehow able to graft his sort of gothic taste into like reality and make the biopic basically. And so I mean that movie that's so that movie actually is my personal favorite. I think if you want I, I would consider that as an example of him being different despite working with Johnny Depp again as the in the lead. So I think it all crystallizes from him best mm-hmm. uh, with the Corpse Bride. That just that just boils yeah. his whole worldview down, you know. And yeah. and it's so bleak and dark, and yet it remains optimistic, and there's a happy ending. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, I, I, one thing I would really 
I really think uh, the thing that's great about Tim Burton is that I think he actually very much has an adoration for his actors. He never, I mean, I've heard of other directors who like really punish their actors, and you know, there are different directors, different directing styles. Because, but I think the reason, like, I think for one thing, I think Johnny Depp is a little bit is a bit out there as an actor, which is why he has just a good bond with him. But I think when I see his movies, I always sense like an, a very kind of a joy that really translates onto the screen that they're just having fun making film, whereas other films just seem almost like masochistic to some extent, even the great ones. And so that's one thing I do like about Tim Burton over, over his body of work. So, Interesting. Sure. Well, thank you for the call. Any other thoughts, comments? Oh, well, we, we probably need to, to move on to other things. In fact, um, we've talked a lot about, you know, No Country for Old Men, uh, Demon Barber, Fleet Street. One of the things that I found interesting about the editor's list that you put together, Lisa, was that we had a cheater. Yes, we did. Is the cheater on the line? No, it looks like I need to actually... Uh, Bump some calls to make room for uh, El Bicho to call in. There we go. Okay. Um, so if El Bicho can call in, we'd like to discuss his little list. I think that we've got one slot open now, so that should be fine. So I'll, I'll be going right now. So Hey, John. Alrighty. Great talking Thanks, John. to you. Thanks for calling in. You're doing a real yeah. good job. Uh, really appreciate your, your work and your articles. Really have yeah. enjoyed your contribution. Yeah. yeah, thank you for publishing them. So. Our pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Okay. You know, good night. I've actually, I've actually been keeping up a little bit of a commentary going on while we've been talking, uh, while you guys were were talking. Um, I've been holding up DVD cases that I got for Christmas to the camera in the chat room. So people mentioned blood, and, the, and there, there went 28 weeks later. I happen to have Live Free or Die Hard that came up earlier. Have knocked up here. I know one uh, one movie we haven't discussed yet yet that makes uh, El Bicho's list, and will make some other lists is uh, Stardust, which I was happy to get for Christmas as well. El Bicho, are you on the line with us? Uh, yes, I am. Happy well, very good. How so are you? Oh, uh, geeky one. <laughs> how, are, how are you and the masked movie snobs? Uh, good, actually. I have another one uh, standing by whenever you guys clear a line. But uh, I think it's been an amazing year in movies, and that's part of the reason why I cheated, because I uh, I couldn't restrict it to just one, and some of the films there were uh there's like no way to compare i mean the to take the sort of brilliant indie script of Juno and then try to put that up against some of the uh amazing scenes that were shot for um there will be blood like the there's this really great um oil derrick fire scene that's just amazing it's just like well you can't you can't compare it's like apples and oranges good right. point so you broke it down why don't you go through your list for us all right. Um, let me see here. Well, we've got we've got three hundred. Yes, was, was the first one you mentioned. That was I thought that was an amazing action film and probably the best summer movie that didn't come out in the summer. <laughs> That's right. And How you do mentioned you feel about the 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 uh, the the animation, or, or I, I'm not even, I'm still not really clear how it was done. It looks like animation. What's what's the filming technique? Um. Well, I you know I. You know, they shot almost the entire thing on a green screen lot, and that's really what makes the DVD so great, as you can see that. Um, and then, uh, you know, just some talented uh, graphic artists in the computer industry, and they used a lot of uh, Frank Miller's original drawings as guides, and it looked like they even just sort of used it for the backdrops, because they were just amazing. Right. I agree. That's the best part of it. It's just the look, you know. Very good. And then you also mentioned Ratatouille. That's something that came up a couple of times on uh, the best films list. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, in the Pixar Studios group, I think Brad Bird is probably the most talented guy. I mean, he had done The Incredibles, and then before he joined them, he had done Iron Giant. And Which is a uh, fantastic film. Yeah, you know, I just thought it was a really great story about uh, creativity and uh, critiquing. Which we all do. Exactly. Although there's uh, a movie I still haven't seen yet called, um, I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, Parasauropolis. It's a French film about this um, Iranian woman and her sort of memoirs that she wrote as a graphic novel. And it's now an animated film, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that. So I think that actually might knock Ratatouille off, because I've read the book, and the book is brilliant. 
You know, speaking of mispronouncing things, I've been harassed in the chat room a little bit about how I pronounce your screen name. Is it, in fact, El Bicho or El Bico? El Bicho. There you go. So, guest 1281 there. <laughs> he bitches and he's Mexican. There you go. And he's rascal. We, we, do, we do have one more open phone line. You mentioned that you had a, a compatriot wanting to call in. So that right. is open now. Uh, another movie that you mentioned, uh, one of my favorites for the year as well, was Stardust. Yeah, I thought that was a really great um, sort of you know fairy tale and almost for the whole family. I know there's some... But Captain Shakespeare might be uh, a little slightly risque for some grown-ups since he's a cross-dresser, but I, I just thought it was an amazing fairy tale. He's, he's, a, he's a fun-loving cross-dresser, though, and I, I don't know. I mean, I'm a pretty conservative Christian with some pretty young kids, and, and I still showed them the movie, so I guess... <laughs> uh, or maybe I'm not as conservative as I think I am. <laughs> I got the HD of that. That was one of my big acquisitions for Christmas as we got the an HD DVD player. I was debating back and forth, Blu-ray, HD, Blu-ray, HD. Ended up, um, the, the reviews on the player itself were were regularly higher for the HD DVD than Blu-ray, at least for the money. So anyway, I, I have uh, I have Stardust ready to go. I haven't watched it yet, so I better bust that out, huh? It's yeah, really, it's, I think so, yeah. It was it was a great book by Neil Gaiman. I, it's, you know, a pretty easy read, but I still stayed up all night reading it, and then you know, found out only a few months after reading the book that they were making, or that they had already made at that point a movie, and were releasing a movie about it, and it's it's really a lot of fun. Now, you you also mentioned a movie I haven't seen, um, L, uh, and that is Three Ten to Yuma. Yeah, it's a uh, a remake of a western from the '50s with Christian Bale and uh, Russell Crowe, and I thought it was a really great adaptation, or not adaptation, update um, of that story. It looked really amazing, and just the it's just great really seeing sort of two actors, you know, playing different characters interact so well, almost, you know, almost like a dance. I mean, they were just, they worked really well together and you could, you, they played off each other and the characters, even though like they're two totally different characters, you could see that they had a lot in common and uh, as they reveal themselves through the movie, you can see them not really become friends, but grow to respect each other more and the choices that they made since they didn't come from the same position. And then uh, you mentioned Juno. I know we've talked quite a bit about Juno already, and so it's nice to know that it, it made so many lists at Blog Critics. Yeah, you know, it was. It, it's you know what I think I really enjoyed about it is it was great seeing. It, like I think it was like probably one of the best scripts this year, and it was great seeing a female character who was really smart and really funny, almost in the same way you you're used to seeing um, Bill Murray or even Groucho Marx. I mean, she was. I thought she was that good, and. I would love to see her. I can't wait to see what the next thing she does, and I hope she does more comedies because I thought she was brilliant. What's her name? Ellen Page. Uh, Ellen Page, I think? Yes. And, and we've heard comparisons between that and Knocked Up, which all of us apparently have seen, and none of us have seen Juno. So do you make that comparison as well? Um, I mean, they're both pregnancy stories, but they're – I mean, other than that, I don't really see much of a connection beyond that. I mean, I think – you know, um, Knocked Up is more uh, like caricatures rather than characters. Right. And um, and you know, I, you know, there's you know, there obviously there's more sort of the gross out stuff, um, which has its audience. But uh, you know, Juno was just a lot smarter and a lot funnier. I mean, I thought there were good moments, but I was surprised Knocked Up did as well because I wasn't that <laughs> I wasn't that impressed with it. Now, one of the movies you mentioned I, I think is interesting because it, it only came out, you know, it, just literally in the final couple of weeks of 2007, yet it, it did make a lot of lists, uh, you know, of the more mainstream critics, and, and it made your list. And I mean, I'm just wondering how, what does it take for a movie to, to capture you and sell itself as one of the best of the year within, within days of seeing it? And, and we're talking about um, There Will Be Blood with Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, yeah, I... You know, I think, I, I think it doesn't matter how how long it's been out. I think it's just sort of the impact it has. I mean, I just, you know, it's really great to look at, and cinematography for me is a really big deal. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I just like the way it looked, and Daniel Day-Lewis is just phenomenal in it. Um, 
and uh, it, you know, it's just it's sort of you know, it's a powerful story about um, you know, sort of about both capitalism and uh, religion, and the sort of con man aspects to both. Uh, yeah, just just from what I've seen, which is basically trailers and and previews and a, a, a bit of an excerpt off the internet. I mean, it looks like one of the most beautiful films I've ever seen. Um, yeah, but I, just, great. I don't know. The, they shot most of it in uh, some, some small town in Texas, and it just, it, just, like, it just makes the desert look like a beautiful place to be, even though you know, that's not what you normally think of the desert, but it just looks fantastic. Well, we, we do have, uh, you mentioned someone was going to call in from, from Mass Movie Snobs, I believe it is, and you are on the line with us now. Yes, this is Hombre Divertido. Hello, Hombre. And I am one of the mass movie snobs. Welcome to the show. So what do you think of uh, El Bicho's picks here? I thought El Bicho's picks were uh, quite good, although he sees a lot more movies than I do. That's why he's the head mass movie snob. (laughs) (laughs) What are your faves? Give us uh, us your rundown. I actually go for uh, putting together a, the list of movies that didn't make other people's lists. Ah. And uh, my top three there were uh, Lions for Lambs, Mr. Brooks, and what I thought was the most poorly marketed uh, movie of the year was Meet the Robinsons. Interesting. Now, Meet the Robinsons just about disappeared under the radar, and it was a—it's actually an excellent little animated film. That I, I, wasn't it pushed back, supposed to be released in 2006, and got pushed to 2007? Exactly, and I thought it was actually better than Ratatouille, um, but it was poorly marketed. The title didn't uh, lend itself well to the children's audience, and I think it got uh, horribly overlooked. Well, my kids wanted Ratatouille for Christmas, uh, got Ratatouille for Christmas, and not Meet the Robinsons, but already, actually, they've mentioned to me that it would be good if I went out and, and fixed that and also got Meet the Robinsons on DVD. Well, it'd probably be better if you waited until the show was over before you did that, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. My, kid, my kids did actually see it at, at some, somewhere else, and they, uh, they quite enjoyed it. But, yeah, very... Talk about the other two. I, I don't even think I've heard of them, let alone seen them. Uh, Mr. Brooks was a very interesting movie with uh, Kevin Costner oh, right, right. Okay. Uh, playing a, an evil role. And uh, again, very underrated, but uh, very interesting and thoroughly enjoyable. And I am apparently one of the few people in the world that actually like Lions for Lambs. I, I don't even think I've heard of that. What's, what's that one about? Uh, that is the Robert Redford production with Tom Cruise and Meryl Streep. Whoa. How could I have missed that? Don't know. Am I the only? Was that, was that released in more than say three theaters, or <laughs> um, actually just one by my house, and there weren't a lot of other people in there. And the one by your house is the only theater in the country that yeah, it played. Yeah, pretty in? much. <laughs> Sorry, I tend How to be a little fortunate for you. Yeah. Where do you live? Uh, that would be uh, the veritable entertainment mecca of Orange County, California. Oh well. There you case. go. When did that come out? Uh, Lions for Lambs. Uh, Jump in here, Albicho. October. October? Um, not in September or October. It's an October release. Mm-hmm. I don't think they pushed it very hard, did they? I, 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 Lions Lions was November. November, sorry. Yeah, I, I'd seen that one. I didn't get a chance to, to catch it. You know, while we've got a few of you on the line here, I actually want to run down a list that I thought was interesting. Uh, Tall Ryder published what he called the best and worst in film for 2007. And so a lot of the best are movies we've already talked about, Ratatouille, The Bourne Ultimatum, he adds in Michael Clayton, which, which hasn't come up, uh, Once Into the Wild, Atonement, Bridge to Terabithia, which I just, oh. That was fantastic. That about killed me. I saw it with my eight-year-old <laughs> daughter thinking, oh, I'm going to a movie. I, I, I had not read it. I saw the, you know, the trailers really emphasize the fantasy element, which is actually very small. You know, I yeah. mean, it's really the relationship between the boy and the girl and, and her personality and how does she fit in and she helps him fit in. And, oh, my God, I, I had tears in my eyes. My, 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 one of my daughters Literally. begged me, begged me as we walked through the video store to get that movie because it looked so great. And I had to explain that there was no way that I wanted to watch a movie again that was going to make me cry like a baby in front of my kids. I flat <laughs> out cried in the theater. And my daughter... So then I, I had to... 
and Wait. laughing at me and saying, it's only a movie, Dad, you moron. How old are you? I had, uh, I had to explain quite loudly in the video store what it was that made that movie sad, and I think I annoyed some, some people. Uh, anyway, he mentioned, so again, his best movies, The Waitress, The Namesake, which, which was a oh, great movie. The <laughs> <laughs> not, not The Waitress, no. We've had, we've had some dispute in the chat room here about The Waitress being the, uh, the third pregnancy movie of the year. Uh, no Country for Old Men makes the list. He's got a, a couple of other uh, honorable mentions. But the worst movies I thought were the most interesting. The Comebacks, a sports spoof movie. Did anybody see that? Well, isn't that the one with The Rock? No, no, no. The Comebacks no. was the one with... Um, David Kutchner. Exactly. Total total spoof movie. Uh, I mm. Awful. Okay. I had to draw the line on that one. You know, when they, uh, when they make parodies of parodies... It just becomes too convoluted. Right. I think that's the big problem with those things like epic movies, scary movies. Exactly. That's exactly used to be, what it was. Back, back in the good old days when you had a parody, it was, you know, take a, have a coherent plot and maybe make fun of a particular genre of movie. It seems like these movies now, an epic movie, in fact, is number three on Tall Rider's list of worst movies of 2007. I mean, it seems like all they're doing is reproducing scenes from various movies and worse. Don't see the Not point very funny. <laughs> Please, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like art. taking what would be sketches on shows and just jamming them all together rather than coming up with one whole story. But yeah, that's, it's, it's mad TV. It's not even SNL, man. It's an hour and a half of, of YouTube frippery. Uh, a Perfect Stranger. He calls it a disorganized movie filled with unnecessary dialogue and ridiculously predictable situations in a surprisingly weak script with so many adjectives it sounds awful. Don't forget the terrible ending in that one. Wow. Codename Cleaner with Cedric the Entertainer and Lucy Liu. Anybody? Never, never heard of it. Euler? Euler? The Heartbreak Kid. There, there's our, uh, our. I love the original. <laughs> well, this is our, our Farrelly's failure. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping never to see a Farrelly's brother, brothers movie again, and, and this, this will help. Uh, Norbit. The... Oh, oh man! Any... I didn't even start. <laughs> <laughs> Anything worse than Norbit? It's hard to imagine. Please tell me August Rush was on his list. Oh, getting down there, but I think you're going to be disappointed. Daddy Day Camp with Cuba Gooding Jr. was number seven. That would be, of course, sequel to Daddy Daycare with Eddie Murphy, who moved on to Norbit. Hey, got any Delta Force on there? No, no. We got Bratz at number eight. And now this one might, well, I don't know. For the crowd that Pan's knocked up, maybe maybe not so uh, controversial, but I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry at number nine, one of the worst movies of the year. That was pretty yep. bad. It yeah. from the trailer. Yeah, I've got a friend who keeps telling me I've got to see it, but I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to see Juno this weekend and, and Chuck and Larry never. And then uh, his number 10 is DOA, Dead or Alive. I hate to admit I that I had fun with that. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't good by any stretch. But... He gave some dishonorable mentions as well to Hostile 2, Captivity, and the latest Saw installment. What was it, number 17, 18? I can't keep track. He, he just, with one fell swoop, dismissed all the horror blockbusters. Uh, I like them. Of all the three year. of them. Yeah. Yeah, I know you're you're quite the fan of the uh, of the horror stuff. Now you like Hostile Two, despite the uh, the controversy. There's controversy. There's controversy about that. I, don't, I think <laughs> I missed that. Uh, you know, little complaints of torture porn and misogyny uh, and things like that. You know, you might have missed all that. That's a movie. <laughs> Captivity, of course, had controversial posters. I'm pretty sure some of that was ginned up, uh, you know, out of the PR budget. Oh yeah, yeah. That was that was that was a pure. Purely calculated PR press campaign. And then the song about horror for a minute, though. Let, let's do that because we haven't talked about horror at all. For, you know, the whole hour. I, I, I'm going to say flat out, I cannot personally handle more than a certain level of violence and gore. Now, there's some. Movies what is that level? What's a movie that just barely is acceptable to you? Well, see, I like I like suspense and I like mystery. And I like I like black humor, so it's hard to say exactly. Some of it's the quality of the movie. I'm trying to think, you know, like a Silence of the Lambs or something. There's not like some one scene or something, but it's the it's it's the piled upon. You know, like even 300, frankly, for that matter, it just got to be a bit 
much for me after a while. You know, I mean, I'm rooting for the 300. Go, guys, go. Kick their Persian asses down the street. Take names. Pile up the bodies high. But still, I mean, you know, when that's the vast bulk of the movie, there's only so many ways you can, you know, you can chop people up and stab them and, and throw stuff at them and kill them and then pile them up. I mean, to me, that... Uh, I understand the appeal of 300 just to focus on one that has been, you know, rated and uh, reviewed well by by mainstream people as well as you know more those more inclined like Chris to uh, <laughs> to bloodletting. But I, I it did wear me down after a while. It, you know, it really did. I and, and, I, I loved that movie. Now, now uh, here's here's my thing. I, I'm into zombie movies in in somewhat of a big way. I mean, I'll watch. I got 28 weeks later for Christmas. I'm not a I'm, zombie I'm, movie. Yeah, a big, well, true enough, an infected movie. Come on, in this movie, they were flat out eating people. Zombie-esque, zombie-esque. <laughs> um, so I, I like zombie movies. I, I, you know, I liked Planet Terror, the Robert Rodriguez half of Grindhouse. Yes. Uh, and that was, that was really, really over the top. But, but movies like Hostel 2, or Hostel for that matter, for some reason, uh, I think it's the sadistic element that just really bothers me. I'm trying now, when you were talking about these movies, and I'm trying to think because this isn't something I've really analyzed very well. Clearly, because I'm babbling like an idiot. But like, for example, the two Kill Bills. Man, there's a lot of blood in those, but I think they're great. I like yeah. those a lot. So it's not just the blood; it's the you know those seem context. motivated and they're stylized. Yeah, it's the context in which they're delivered. Exactly. Yeah, see, I, I think context for me at least. It has to do with the realism. I mean, I, I don't expect people infected with rage to run around trying to bite me. I don't expect zombies to lumber after me. Uh, even Kill Bill with, with blood squirting 25 feet high or whatever. That For some reason, that didn't bother me. I could actually, you know, Saw kind of walked the line for me because it, it actually seemed like it could happen or something. I'm not sure what... Well, and the what same with war happened. movies. You know, I, you know, there's a line... I understand the the need to you know convey the reality and that that's a, a fairly modern uh, technique or a modern uh, appeal you know to show really what it's like. I mean the old war movies you know they may be great stories and great performances and whatnot, but man that's not what war is like in terms of blood and guts and and chaos and madness you know. Um, but but uh, you know like. Something like... Uh, the opening Saving, scene of Saving Private Ryan. I was Ryan. just going to say, Saving Private oh. Ryan. I mean, that's just so brutal. You know, I mean, it's just... When I think about it, do I want to see that movie again? Well, it's a great movie. I, I really... It, it hit me powerfully. And amazing performances. Uh, Tom Hanks and, and uh, what? Sizemore's great in that, too. And uh, all the performances, really, are really good. And it's really well-directed. and It hangs together. But... You know, it's so, so brutal. Uh, and how about the scene uh, where they're pinned down in um, uh, Full Metal Jacket? I mean, that just, that about kills me. You know, there, there's, because it's real. I mean, that stuff's real. And right. I, I agree with Philip. It, it's the realism that's probably the most disturbing. I, I skipped seeing The Passion of the Christ when every single one of my Christian friends thought it was somehow sinful for me to do so, because I just figured I didn't want to see a guy get ripped apart. I didn't care who it was. Just Even that Jesus guy. Yeah, and, and yeah. he comes back, man. There's a happy Another ending. Another movie I loved. Uh, agreed. I mean, happy ending and all, literally something I based my life on, and I still didn't want to watch it. He, gets, he comes it, back it and goes, Couldn't yeah, pay me enough yeah, to go yeah, see yeah. it. <laughs> well, I think the problem with the uh, Passion of the Christ was that it was all Good Friday and not enough Easter Sunday. <laughs> there you go. Good line. Go. That's, that's yep. great. Is that Chris who said that? No, no, that was El Bicho. Oh, so uh, El You guys are all sounding the same now, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's, we're, we're getting close to the end of our show, so let's do a quick rundown on uh, on horror movies. Yay or nay um, from, from each of you? Uh, Chris, obviously you're a yay. Yes, definitely. Okay, uh, Lisa. Psychological horror, yay. Gross horror, nay. Hmm. And Eric, you've kind of made your view clear, and I, I guess I have as well. El Bicho? Uh, you know, it, it, you know, it just depends. I mean, some of the stuff where it's just stuff to shock you and startle you, I don't, I don't enjoy in the long run. Like stuff that sort of freaks me out and scares me, I like. Like my favorite horror movie is um, Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, 
and you almost never even see the crimes, but the way they're created are just so chilling. But, right. you know, I was freaked out by it, but I don't know, the rest of it's just like, okay, great, you know, great effects. And then, and then Ombre? Uh, big yay. Big yay. All right. Well, thank you to everybody for being on the show tonight. We are about out of time. I do want to remind all of our listeners to uh, tune in this Friday for the premiere of the Friday edition of the Treehouse Sport. Our sports show is launching on a new day, so not only now Mondays, you can also catch it Friday, day after tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this has been BC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, so be sure to visit blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio to type your questions and comments in the chat room, watch the live video feed. If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives are available online, or you can subscribe to the podcast to have BC Radio Live delivered to you each week. Find out more about BC Radio Live, the B-Sides Concept Pro Album Program, which airs tomorrow night, and all of the other shows on the BC Radio Network at blogcritics.org slash bcradio. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.